0: Uh, every time I read of a miraculous healing in the Bible, I always wonder about the people in the crowd who did not get to touch the hem of his garment. Or they got there too late. Or unlike Zacchaeus, they just stayed up in the tree and watched Jesus pass by. So we have arrived again at uh, transfiguration sunday rolls around on the liturgical calendar every single year so we get to uh contemplate this mystical vision uh from a from a new angle uh this glorious metamorphosis of jesus up there from the greek this 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 incredible mystical glorious vision of power. And it, it always begs the question for me, do, do we need visions of glory, some kind of a powerful firsthand experience like this in order to believe? Why does it feel to so many of us that God is a bit stingy uh, in providing such moments of, of awe and, and inspiration, glimpses of his glory and Power. Why are only three disciples, for instance, invited to climb into the hills to have this astounding experience on the mountain? Are, are, are the other nine out of shape? Wouldn't, wouldn't their faith have been strengthened for the difficult days ahead by witnessing the glorious vision of Christ that Peter, James, and John got to see? I mean, even the three disciples who did witness these events don't even tell everybody about it when they come back down the mountain. Maybe when you are actually God Almighty, creator of all that is and ever will be, you are more concerned about frightening your beloveds than you are about impressing them. So you approach as a babe in a manger, as an itinerant preacher from the backwoods, as a suffering servant. It's the wannabe gods of this world that feel the need to prove their power all the time with military might, obscene wealth, and all the rest. I I do often think that the Wizard of Oz is a good object lesson here. Our girls just loved that show when they were little, as did I. Uh, Our oldest, Lydia, was just transfixed by the Wizard of Oz. But when it would come on, we would have to sit with her when she was three and four and five and six and always put our hand over her eyes whenever the witch appeared because it was just a bit too much for her. Uh, she'd get scared. But the, the wizard, uh, if you recall, was scary too. In fact, the wizard cultivated a reputation of being all-powerful and wise. He needed the people to fear him, and by fear him, he, he, he needed them to be scared of death to even approach, lest he be found out. But as we know, in the end, the curtain is drawn back, right? Right? As it always is, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And when we follow Jesus through the Gospels, there are certainly some miracles and, and healings, and, and these get a lot of attention then and now. But for the most part, if we settle in with Jesus through the Gospels, carefully following, we, we see Jesus sitting down for dinner with sinners and traitors and tax collectors telling stories of parents welcoming home rebellious children and the like. We don't see Jesus entering each town and performing a jaw-dropping work of power, a miracle, like some sort of traveling circus act. And along the way, there are several times that his critics and detractors and those who are threatened by the growing sort of authority and popularity of Jesus. Along the way, there are times that they are sure that they have seen behind the curtain. Look, he eats with sinners and tax collectors, they declare. We knew it. What kind of Messiah would that be? Look, he can't even do works of wonder here in his hometown of Nazareth that we keep hearing he does elsewhere. Listen, he says he can destroy the massive holy temple and then rebuild it in three days. Even the devil got in on the act. Go ahead, Jesus. Let's see you uh, jump from this high place. Surely the angels will catch you. What kind of Messiah is this? What do you need to believe? Peter and James and John were there at the Transfiguration, but I've been wondering this year about the other nine, because I think most of us, at least much of the time, can relate to them, just trying to keep the home fires burning, taking care of the kids, attending the meetings trying to pay the bills, doing the shopping, doing the homework, trying to get some exercise, all the ordinary stuff. You know, generally not experiencing mystical miracles on the mountain. Still at the end of every hard-earned day, people find some reason to believe. Springsteen sings in his mournful song. I guess most of us don't usually see the heavens open. We don't hear a booming voice from above. Maybe we begin to wish that somebody would at least play the wizard and pull the levers so we could see the great fire and hear the booming voice ourselves, at least for a moment. That rarely seems to be God's style, even in the Gospels. I suppose that Jesus could have gone from town to town astounding people with the spectacle of his power. But what he did was journey along those dusty roads, teaching and talking to people, telling them about how God is present with them and searching for them in stories of wayward sheep and mustard seeds and lost coins and prodigal siblings. Jesus sat around and ate dinner with people and met them in the midst of their ordinary lives. Yeah, there were miracles along the way, to be sure. People were healed and fed in remarkable ways. But not everyone. Uh, every time I read a miraculous healing in the Bible, I always wonder about the people in the crowd who did not get to touch the hem of his garment. Or they got there too late. Or unlike Zacchaeus, they just stayed up in the tree and watched Jesus pass by and told that story the rest of their lives. What about the other nine? What about you? Up on that mountain, a voice from the heavens confirms what was said when Jesus was baptized this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And it was terrifying for those disciples. Luke says they didn't even mention it when they got back down the mountain. Whether we see a miracle or not, Jesus always leads us back down the mountain, into the middle of real life where people are in need, and that's what happens even after the transfiguration, he leads us back to build community, to build the church. In June, a group of us will find ourselves on the lower slopes of the highest freestanding mountain in the world, Mount Kilimanjaro. And there we'll worship with folks at Nkwesho Lutheran Parish, a village church up there in the hills. And we will be surrounded by our Tanzanian brothers and sisters. And we will feel the deep joy and faith. Even by people who live surrounded by so much illness and so much death, there will be children in that congregation who have lost both parents to AIDS or malaria or COVID people struggling with severe physical disabilities, poverty, drought. And I sometimes wonder where all that faith comes from on that mountain. When you don't get your preferred miracle. When you weren't there for the mystical vision of glory. What do you need to believe? Jesus leads Peter, James, and John back down the mountain, back to the other nine. Because whether we witness a miracle or not, we are all in this together. When the curtain is pulled back on the power and majesty of Jesus, we see ordinary people gathered in his name, gathered in his presence, here at Prince of Peace. In Jamaica, in Africa, Ukraine, Russia, Syria, Afghanistan, across the Ukrainian border right now in Poland, where so many ordinary Polish citizens have arrived with blankets and food and water to serve refugees who are able to make it across that border, fleeing violence. Well, anyway, it's Transfiguration Sunday. And we're on a high place again, and from up here we can look back to other mountaintops. Jesus appears with Moses on this mountain, reminding us of the mountain Moses climbed where he received the gift of the Decalogue, of the Ten Commandments, of the law, a gift to the people. And Elijah is there with Jesus as well on this high mountain, and we recall the mountain that Elijah ran to and hid so that he might not be put to death by Queen Jezebel. And he yearned for knowledge of God's presence with him. It wasn't in the thunder of the world when he heard the still, small voice of God on that mountain. During this transfiguration, the voice of God speaks, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And it reminds us of the day Jesus was baptized in that same declaration of his Identity was made and Jesus was immediately led out into the wilderness where Satan said from a high place. Just bow to me, Jesus. It doesn't always have to be so hard. Just bow to me and I'll put you in charge of all the kingdoms of the world. Imagine all the good you could do. But sometimes it is hard. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed and helpless. Sometimes this world's tyrants do rage. So Luther told us to sing this when we need to. Though hordes of devils fill the land, all threatening to devour us, we tremble not, unmoved we stand. They cannot overpower us. Let this world's tyrant rage. In battle we'll engage. His might is doomed to fail. God's judgment must prevail. One little word subdues him. And out in the distance, one mountain remains. It will come to be known as Calvary. In this one, Jesus climbs alone. He goes for you. He'll take your brokenness, your illness, your shame, your addiction, your sin, your fear, your grief. He'll take it all with him up this last mountain. And let it all die with Him so that He can give you back something better. He goes for you, and for me, and for all who struggle for healing, for comfort, for relief, for faith. All those longing for a miracle, or a spectacle, or maybe a nap. He goes for the other nine. He goes for you. Amen. So on this Transfiguration Sunday, whether or not you happen to feel particularly uh, chosen, uh, we are each of us reminded uh, that, in fact, you are a chosen child of God. Uh, This was never dependent on how well you appropriated this gift, this identity. Uh, It was never dependent on how uh, you felt or how well you performed. This was a gracious gift of God and in Christ uh, each of us are chosen whether or not we feel as though we've gotten our miracle whether or not we've been able to see the mystical vision of his glory it has always been about the pursuit of this christ to come for you and the other nine always those who have felt left out who have had reason to believe in this life that they are less than to you this morning Christ says, you are my beloved child, so that as you leave here, you're able to go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.